From Washington, this is the MacroCast with Hamilton Place Strategies and Markets Policy Partners. Good morning. It's Friday, July 29th. You're listening to the MacroCast. I'm Tony Frato with Hamilton Place Strategies with our uh, partners uh, bringing you the MacroCast from Markets Policy Partners, John Fagan and Brendan Walsh. And we are uh, really lucky today to have with us Howard Schneider, uh, the Fed reporter for uh, Thomson Reuters. Howard, welcome to the MacroCast. It's great to have you here. Thanks. Uh, yeah, you had a busy week. We're going to get into you know a lot of your stuff. You had you know Fed meeting and uh, GDP, and we have um, and we got you know more inflation numbers uh, this morning. And uh, and I also want to talk to you about a story that you wrote yesterday. Uh, you posted yesterday about um, you know Fed policy and food um, yeah. and, and how weird, uh, right? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, there's just so much to get into there, and uh, and uh, so I'm really excited to talk about. It. I'm really excited to have you on, on the show with us. But Brendan, you want to give us the the, the prints from this morning on um, on spending and inflation, and uh, and uh, the, the 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 freshest numbers this morning? Yeah, so we got a host of um, both spending and inflation data. So personal spending was up 1.1 percent in June, while income was up 0.6 uh, percent. But then also within that report, we get the Fed's preferred inflation measurement, the PCE price index. And a lot of that data comes from the CPI. It has different weights. So, you know, we had a, a, a decent um, idea what it was going to be, but it still did come in higher than, than you know, economists' expectations. The, the price index was up 1% from a month earlier, which put it up 6.8% uh, from a year earlier. And then the core, which uh, strips out food and um, and uh, gas, which we're going to talk about food after this, um, that was up 0.6% uh, uh, higher than expected, which puts the core PCE price index up 4.8%. We also then got the employment cost index, um, which this one might be actually a little more important for the Fed uh, mm-hmm. in terms of their, their thinking. Um, it, it's new data. The, 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 the inflation data is is kind of... It's just, like I said, it, 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 a lot of it comes from the BLS and then it just has different weightings. But the employment cost index for the second quarter, uh, wages were up 1.4% and uh, employment cost with benefits was up uh, 1.2%. So it, the, we're not quite seeing the uh, monetary policy tightening, massively slowing uh, wage gains as, as of yet. Or not at all even, right? I mean, if, no, I, yeah, if you were looking... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Now, if you were looking for, um, you know, signs that, uh, you know, signs of, of, you know, that uh, inflation had peaked, you know, we, you don't get we don't get that yet. Right. I mean, that's not I think that's the it's, we're still running, at least looking backwards are running. Um, uh, we're still running pretty hot. Yes, definitely. I mean, there are some indications with, you know, shipping rates and, and uh, commodities are coming off like coppers down things like that. But that's the, the that's the first level. The, the the second level has to kind of seep into um, the the employment um, factors and job gains still seem to be um, strong. Though we are hearing more and more companies saying that they're going to either slow hiring or actually start to to lay people off, and then that then uh, then once that happens, then we see the wage gains start to slow. Yeah, July non farm payrolls next Friday is going to be a big number. That's uh, that's uh, big in terms of 
lots of attention and potentially market moving. Um, and uh, yeah, expectations are for continued resilience. So it'll be one to watch for sure. The mother of all jobs reports. Yeah. So consensus is kind of for around 250,000 jobs. Which I guess that's a little more normal pace. That, that, that goes back to the, the pre-pandemic recovery uh, rate. Um, so we'll see, you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Howard, the numbers this morning, no. I mean, uh, do you think, uh, I saw, you know, your, your um, uh, you know, someone who sits near you in the, uh, in the press room uh, for the, for FOMC meetings, Neil Irwin mm-hmm. said that he thought those numbers um, will cause heads to turn at the Fed and not in a good way. I mean, is that, you know, they're certainly not welcome over there this morning, right? Yeah, I think there's uh, a couple of things. That, I mean, the month-to-month pace, they all say they're, they're watching that. There's some signs of it coming down, so we're not getting any reliefs there. Uh, and I think that if you look at, um, you know, it was interesting in the, in the press conference Wednesday, Chair Powell pointed back to the June SEPs as the best guidance we got right now. And that gets you up to a 3.5% federal funds rate at the end of the year, contingent on a path for PCE. And uh, given the numbers today and what we saw in the second quarter, uh, and what we see with ECI, it was still pressure building. Those numbers are going to have to absolutely collapse over the next six months for them to hit their S&P target. So implication, the contingencies for that rate path they mapped out in June are already falling apart. Uh, Powell said that as much at the meeting. Inflation came in, CPI came in higher than expected. Growth was weaker than expected. Um, but what we saw today is, I think, a little more towards 75 than back to 50. Um, and we're going to get more data, you know, before then uh, in uh, in August. It was something I would I definitely I wanted to get into. Uh, well, we're going to get a ton of data. We're going to get lots of July data. and all the August because the meeting isn't until September. Summer break, guys. Come on. No. <laughs> <laughs> so when the Fed says we're we're data dependent, this time it's probably more true than than ever because. The economy could look totally different in in when when they sit down, you know, in mid September to, to to do this because we know monetary policy works with a lag, and we're seeing that in in the housing market. You know, housing activity has fallen off a cliff. Um, we're seeing well, oil prices are still up, but you know, commodity prices um, are coming off. So the 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 world could look totally different one way or the other. Maybe inflation stays high and they have to do seventy five, or maybe things really, really do slow down and they end up doing uh, a lot less. I do think it's weird. I mean, we have like this whole, um, you know, no meetings in August is, you know, it just goes back to pre-air conditioning days in Washington, D.C., right? It's literally the only reason why there is no meeting in August is because you know, Washington, D.C. would empty out. Congress goes out like, you know, even like Congress has this bill, right? They, the pressure, they have to pass it because they have to go home for recess in 10 days. And so like, that's it. And you can't stay. You have to go home because no one could be in, in August in uh, in Washington in August. That's kind of where the Fed is. And I just think like, to me, it's just it's kind of old fashioned and weird that they're not, but I, I mean, but how are you can make the case that, you know, you don't want to overreact on, on data also and um, give it, give it a little time. I mean, if they had, if they had a meeting in August, I guess they would have to do something. Right. Yeah. I think 
Um, I, I, I actually think Jay Powell is kind of relieved not to have uh, a meeting six weeks in front of him, even though it's only two more weeks. It could make a world of difference. And, uh, you know, frankly, I think it, it lessens the possibility of having that extra time, a little bit less likely to make a mistake that they can't reverse. And if, if you look at the way uh, his communications have evolved since March, uh, really, uh, and for three, for three meetings in a row, he was very explicit about what was going to happen next. And eventually it got him in trouble. Uh, and particularly it got him in trouble when there was important data, an inflation report that fell within uh, a couple of days of the upcoming meeting and they had to scramble and change expectations on a dime. It, was, it wasn't a good look for them. So having that extra two weeks, a full two months of data, that, that could make a big difference. And I, I, I promise you, yeah, I mean, speed may be important here. They need to be nimble. They need to be quick, right? Oh, jumping over the candlestick or whatever that rhyme is. But uh, I think this time they're really happy to have that extra bit of time and that extra round of data in hand. I, plus, I, I agree. I think it, it's silly that we, we don't do anything in August. And it just goes back to, like you say, it's really hot in D.C. But the way that it's playing out for the Fed now, I think, it, it, like Howard said, it's, it's ideal because it allows them to, to see the data and not have to uh, to overreact um, and, and to, to, to take their time. And Jackson holes in August. And that we had a great conversation with Megan Green uh, the other day, and uh, she she referenced that it is going to be that's sort of the stand in, I guess, for the August meeting these days. And uh, it will be interesting if they're if the Fed is trying to uh, change its messaging. You know, that's really the place that's been the venue traditionally over the past decade or so where, you know, large scale uh monetary shifts have been announced. It doesn't seem like that. It seems like the Fed is pretty locked in. Uh, but we saw a hint in this meeting of, of a more balanced, at least slightly more balanced um, growth and inflation risk mix. Man, I did not hear the growth, the growth hint that some people are taking. I got, I got a, I part ways with you a little bit on that. I, I think he had six opportunities in that press conference to talk about uh, uh, growth uh, and he always came back to, we are going to kill inflation no matter what it takes. Uh, and interestingly, uh, I think that when he spoke of sort of the, the, the pain people are feeling, it wasn't about joblessness. It was about inflation. Uh, mm -hmm. It was about inflation uh, uh, curbing their purchasing power and making, making life tough uh, on people. And that, uh, you know, this, this, this frame he put around the issue back since November now, that the path to full employment goes through taming inflation remains the operative thing. So yeah, growth has got them concerned a little bit, but I think it's frankly, the signs of slowdown now are signs of the type of good slowdown, the Goldilocks slowdown, uh, as it's been put. Uh, I think you'll put that today, um, uh, is what's developing so far, quote unquote. That's a really important point because the, the equity market certainly is taking it the opposite. They, they viewed it as we're going to get a pause in September and especially the the growth sensitive stocks like the NASDAQ are, are massively mm -hmm. outperforming for, for right or wrong, you know? So we, we could be in for a, a, a bad surprise, uh, you know, as the, as the, um, the, the fed presidents now next week, will start, you know, giving right. speeches and, and clarifying. Yeah. Well, I, I do think that's one, um, again, if you go back to how this whole discussion has evolved, one mm -hmm. risk that Powell has courted in not giving guidance is he has given an open field to the Reserve Bank presidents, and particularly yep. some of the more outspoken ones like, like Jim Bullard, to just, you know, 
trying to find a gap to run through. And if you look back in March, how much gamesmanship was going on over 25 and 50 uh, with Bullard and Chris Waller really openly, it seemed, pushing the committee towards 50, uh, trying to set expectations in the market around 50. And, you know, Powell ultimately put a, you know, squashed that by going into Congress and saying, nah, it's going to be 25. Well, well, that was that. Now there's no anchor. There's no anchor from the chair. So it'll be really interesting to see how, as the data evolves and the Reserve Bank presidents react to it, how that maps into market action and whether they end up getting backed into any kind of corner one way or the other. Uh, hey, Howard, are you, will you be in Jackson Hole this year? Yes, sir. Yep. What, what, do, you know, do you know what, uh, what, what do you actually, it might not be bad to hear, just hear your, do you have, do you have a, uh, what, what's your ex- expectation for, for Jackson Hole and do you know anything about the agenda? Well, so the, the agenda is is kept off the record until uh, until they open the thing and bang the gong and, and show you who's there. Um, I expect we'd, we'd start to see, you know, popping up on the Fed calendar at some point of uh, who's going to be attending. Yeah. I, listen, I think this is going to be a very uh, fulsome discussion around all of the pandemic issues. I mean, I mean, just think of what the economy and what macroeconomics and what what monetary policy has been through uh, the last two years. Um, I, I, I think it could be a very consequential uh, symposium. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, I, I, the, uh, I mean, for for uh, we're at one of those really big inflection points for you know real monetary policy scholarship, and uh, <laughs> just really looking forward to uh, to what comes out of it. Yeah, yeah, and interestingly, just on Wednesday, we already heard the chair sort of in hindsight dial back one of the key steps he made during his his uh, tenure as chair which was all that strict forward guidance around the new framework he said i'm, I'm not sure i would have done that yeah. um you know uh so that was like considered his signature uh achievement putting that new framework in place and the, and, and the guidance uh, issued just after jackson hole is what operationalized it and now he's saying, yeah, it was, you know, maybe maybe the wrong set of restrictions, maybe, maybe the wrong language for the wrong moment. Um, it's, it's, shifting, yeah. shifting Fed banks, but ECB is essentially saying the same thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Forward, forward guidance is uh, in crisis, as they say, one or two commentators. It's a, well, that's, that's two uh, Fed banks. Uh, so that qualifies as a forward guidance recession. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, uh, hey, Howard, can we take a minute and talk about your story? Because I do think it's uh, uh, super important. And I, I don't even know if you, you know this, but I do a lot on uh, on uh, on food. So you're addressing food and I, mm-hmm. I board a World Food Program USA. And so I'm always, uh, you know, thinking right. about uh, the, the costs of food and nutrition for people. And I just thought it was a really interesting perspective uh, from you and um, with respect to the to the chairman's. Uh, views on how inflation is is uh, uh, impacting real families. Well, I I was trying to kind of connect a couple dots, you know, sort of on the on the fly yesterday, and I thought that um, his language uh, in the press conference that we're seeing a real decline in food consumption really um, uh, uh, leapt out in my mind, stuck out. And my first thought was, is, is he actually like measuring calories and actual eating consumption here, or have they got some study on that, or are they? Uh, are they talking about consumption in economic terms in terms of food being purchased? Well, I think, frankly, it turns out both things are happening. You saw the GDP report yesterday. There was a big whack to uh, GDP on declining real food uh, purchases. 
uh, $33 billion to the downside. So that the implication there is that people are walking out of stores with less in their basket. Uh, and then if you go over to census household pulse surveys, the change in uh, food scarcity uh, since the low, which was actually hit during the pandemic because of all the aid that was you know, coming through the mm-hmm. pipeline, then back up, uh, 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 way up um, in terms of the number of uh, households. At 8%, now we're up to something close to 12. So the high during the pandemic was 13. So that's a marked increase in the number of people reporting that they're in a household where there's often or sometimes not enough to eat. So in terms of Powell talking to the American people about the real cost of recession and why of inflation, excuse me, and why it's important to get control of this, that's a very tangible example of how this is impacting families. And it's 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 real. You know, it is a real thing. Howard, did you get a chance to see where that data was relative to pre uh, to you know pre-pandemic and pre, you know, big safety net support levels? Yeah, good. So the household pulse was only started in response to the pandemic. So that that survey dates to uh, oh, right. you know, uh, mid 2020, something like that. Um, uh, so I guess the question would be whether or not there's any way to correlate that with some of the Fed household surveys that go back to have a have a longer timeline. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will tell you, um, it's going to be interesting. You know, they do this thing called the Survey of Household and Economic Decision Making that comes out quarterly. And the last one, um, which was for the first quarter of this year, I believe, had uh, one of the strongest readings for household sentiment and financial wherewithal on, on record. Okay? Yeah. I'm not sure the next one's going to hold up because you look at, again, some of those indicators in the census surveys on trouble paying usual bills, for example. That's gone from roughly 25% last year to 40% now. Wow. So people are struggling, I think, across the income distribution. Uh, well, Howard, thanks for you know, th- thanks for addressing it that way. I, I think you're right. It's something we're definitely be paying attention uh, to quite a bit. We, you know, we were paying attention to Walmart's um, uh, earnings report also, where they, you know, they talked about the shift in in consumers also, and, and you get a sense that for, you know some of the bank presidents when they reported earnings talked a little bit about this also. So it is the thing to watch right now more, you know, more than anything how the consumer holds up and and. Um, and and again, how, how it looks relative to pre uh, pre COVID levels also, because I do, I do think sometimes context is skewed by COVID support levels. And by the way, like I think the you know I I hope I, I want the, the number of you know uh, people struggling to put food on their table to be zero. To me, like that's the right number. So it's not like I think like the pre COVID number is a good number too. I just think you know just for context, I, I like we like to take a look at that. Um, hey, can I ask you about something else that uh, the chairman mentioned, uh, said at his presser, uh, and he got some criticism for it too, um, uh-huh. uh, was on this, uh, you know, he had made a, uh, he reflected that, you know, we're somewhere near the neutral rate um, on the policy rate. And uh, I know, I mean, Larry Summers, and I think some others to, uh, maybe took issue with it. How did you take his comment on that? So I think this gets confusing for a couple of reasons. They have in their quarterly projections um, long-run federal funds rate they pencil in, and they've all been using that as a shorthand for the quote-unquote neutral rate, uh, which is kind of an equilibrium concept where they're not, you know, they're neither helping the economy or hurting it. They're just kind of in the background with credit conditions, and then people can make economic decisions based on, you know, does that project seem profitable? Does that car seem attractive? Whatever. 
they're not really encouraging you to buy the car or discouraging you from buying the car. Now, the problem is, uh, to understand that rate, it also depends on the rate of inflation. Uh, and that isn't really factored in there, um, except implicitly that the neutral rate they put in for the long run is contingent on them meeting their inflation target of 2%. Well, inflation is not 2%. It's double that or triple that or quadruple that, depending on the measure you use. So it really isn't the short run neutral rate that would do anything particular to the economy today. Uh, so when he has that, he uses that two and a half percent, it's really shorthanding through a lot of stuff that would be hard to explain uh, in the course of a press conference. It's a benchmark. They throw it out there. I think Larry Summers is right that in the short term, it's not really the neutral rate. Uh, it's a it's a it's a shorthand for a concept that they're they've all kind of agreed to use as a benchmark. Hey, John and Brendan, do you think market participants, uh, you know, took some, you know, when we, we were talking earlier about uh, the the uh, sense that maybe they could see the, you know, you know, at the end of the road where, uh, you know, where the terminal rate might be and that the, and that the Fed was more, it was concerned about growth, that that comment fed into market participants' belief on that? Yeah, I think that's fair to say there's, but there was just an enormous amount of sensitivity uh, to any hints of uh, of that of of that kind of concern, uh, just even on the margins uh, of the Fed, and uh, and I think you know that that's the way that's the way financial markets operate. They will, uh, if given an inch, very often they will take a mile, extrapolate, and so forth. Uh, when you look at futures markets, it shows the uh, the uh, the Fed getting up uh, to you know three point five or or you know higher uh, at the end of this year, and then rate cuts beginning. In the spring, and uh, and so the the market is telling you know the the message there is that the, they feel as though the, the Fed is making a mistake, and uh, and whether that's right or not, that's that's certainly the way the shape of the futures curve uh, for Fed funds futures is uh, is looking. Now that is and that's putting a lot of uh, attention on the possibility that the Fed, you know, maybe moderates its pace to the upside. Uh, and then uh, and and tries to stick the landing uh, it with uh, with with a little more a little more of a, a balanced approach, uh, rightly or wrongly. That that's certainly what the market seemed to be focused on. Hey, the, the other um, I, I, we talked a little bit about it, but the other you know obviously the you know giant uh, data uh, print we got this week was on GDP, and I, I don't really want to get into you know too much about it. I mean, I, I would like to be the only podcast that this week that isn't debating whether it is or isn't a recession <laughs> um, but could we but was it were, were the, if you if you uh if you crack open the data and uh, you know were there surprises in there i mean you mentioned one of them um you know howard on on um you know on how food and household spending but were, were there other things that surprised you in uh, in the report I think one thing so, that wasn't reported quite enough is how much the strong dollar uh, detracted from it. Yeah. yeah. The observation I would make is that, um, and this happens a lot, I think, in, in um, particularly in Fed land, you talk about one-off things and, you know, Q1 got dismissed because it was all about imports. And that was good because we like imports. They help the economy. And, and you know, we have inputs for goods and they're cheaper, whatever. This time it was inventories. When you yeah. start adding up, if you, if you get too many one-off things in a row, and you know, and now weakening consumption may take over from all of this, it ends up becoming the trend. 
Uh, and I think that's kind of what we're in a situation right now where weakness may be handed off from one component of GDP to the next. And um, then who knows, you know, uh, people start thinking that way, as Robert Schiller says, they start acting that way. Yeah, it's interesting because yeah, when, when things, you know, when GDP is increasing, when you're in expansion, uh, it seems like there's a, the different story in each GDP report is a handoff of strength to strength, you know, so you can, you know, you know you, right, there's always a new positive thing that you can grasp onto to, to describe why uh, growth is happening. And, and to your point, it's, maybe it's looking like we're a, a daisy chain of weakness to weakness for one reason or another, or weak story to weak story uh, that you can Right, have. right. Go back to 2014-15 with uh, Janet Yellen talking about inflation and why it wasn't getting up to 2%. And, and first it was pharmaceuticals, and then it yeah. was cell phone contracts, and then it was another thing and another thing. And pretty soon they're looking at the expectations data and they're diving away from 2%. So that's, you know, eventually things reinforce the psychology for good or ill. Yeah, I agree. Um, okay, guys. Well, so next week we have, uh, as we talked about, we have uh, non-farm payrolls and household survey and. And the uh, jolts, the jobs and labor turnover survey, which is becoming a, a very important data point uh, for, for uh, monetary policy. I'm really interested in seeing jolts. I, I usually don't pay that much attention to it, but I'm definitely very interested in seeing it next week. Take take a look, by the way, take about talking about the pandemic and sort of aftershocks. Take a look at a jolts map by state against state unemployment. The spread from some states at the low end, which are near parity, to others which are at three or four to one. Uh, that was, yeah, we should definitely we would definitely love to look at the at that map out. Um, it's a really interesting story, and and can't, and 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 uh, and again, can't forget that this is a country of uh, regions of sometimes you know pretty wildly disparate speeds um, in their economies. All right, guys, um, great show, Howard. Thanks so much for joining us this week. I would love to have you uh, back one of these days. Anytime. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, you've got nice uh, to meet you. You've got you've got a lot of. Uh, you, you, have, you have some, you know, very interesting times ahead of you. I think it'll be some, you know, uh, a lot to, a lot for you all to get into, um, uh, especially well, not that, not, not that interesting. I hope. <laughs> Twenty yeah, April twenty twenty was interesting. I don't need that interesting anymore. Good, good point. Good point. I, I would love for it to be sleepy. I miss the sleepy days of the Fed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, John, Brendan, uh, great show, guys. Have a great weekend, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the MacroCast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and share.